It's all about the playoffs for me. I don't care about the regular season. Reggie Miller said that, and I'm saying this. Welcome to High and Low. Good day and good night. Welcome to the High and Low Basketball Show. This is episode number 100 and Francisco, a.k.a. episode number 156. 56 was the jersey number worn by former NBA big man Francisco Elson uh, when he played for the Denver Nuggets from 2004 to 2006, uh, drafted by the Nuggets in the second round in 1999. It would be four years before Elson would put on a Nuggets jersey as he opted to play in Spain before entering the league. This means that Francisco Elson was 27 years old when he finally sat at the end of an NBA bench. Uh, The seven-foot, 240-pounder holds the distinction of being the first Dutch player to win an NBA championship. Francisco won a ring as a member of the 07 San Antonio Spurs. Of course. I'm trying to think of some other things I can share about Francisco Elson, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it's best that we leave that there and move on. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to the High and Low NBA experience this week. My name is Ike Mechi, and around here, we live by a principle governed by the high and low lives of the world, which means we talk about basketball, especially and specifically the NBA, and we talk about it at any time, anywhere, north, south, east, west, high and low. This week on the show, I'm keeping it casual. I'm diving into Hugo's favorite part of the NBA, the stuff that has little to nothing to do with the basketball being played on the court. I don't know. Actually, that's not true. Many things that happen off the court can affect the players and how they perform in the game. I'm sure there's there's more to Jordan Poole's poor performance in these playoffs than just another slump. Maybe Jordan got himself into some trouble with the baddies he loves to impress. Liar! We'll get into some of our favorite storylines. You know, the types of storylines that casuals love to just eat up. I also have a couple questions from listeners that I'll get into. Stay tuned for all that. Is that it? you got to be kidding. I really appreciate your time this week. Thank you for joining me for another installment of the program. Another week, another episode, more NBA, some more high and low. This week in NBA history, it was all about AI. On May 15th, 2001, Allen Iverson, that AI of the Philadelphia 76ers was bestowed with the prestigious Maurice Podoloff Trophy, symbolizing his selection as the NBA's most valuable player for the 2000-2001 NBA season, standing at a diminutive six feet tall and weighing a mere 165 pounds soaking wet, Iverson defied the odds. Let's just be honest, he did, by becoming the shortest and lightest MVP in the league's storied history. Allen Iverson's impact on the game went far beyond his physical stature. His lightning quick speed, uh, his ball handling skills, you know, we saw that on, on display on a nightly basis. And he even had a Reebok commercial all about his killer crossover or his famous crossover. I don't want to take that away from Tim Hardaway. Tim Hardaway had the killer crossover. Allen Iverson just had a mean crossover. Uh, but anyway, He was known for his ball handling skills, uh, his relentless scoring ability, captivating fans, 
across the globe, like I said, night in and night out, affectionately known as AI. Iverson's style of play was an embodiment of his relentless determination and fearless approach on the court. During the 2000 and 2001 season, Iverson led the league in scoring, averaged uh, an astonishing 31.1 points per game, propelled the 76ers to an impressive 56 and 26 record, secured the top seed in the East. Iverson's performances night after night just left fans with their mouths on the floor, just fearlessly just attacking the rim despite his size, just going up against much larger opponents, often defying conventional wisdom. Uh, while Iverson's individual achievements were remarkable, it was his impact on the 76ers success that truly defined his MVP campaign. He led Philly to the NBA Finals, a feat that had not been accomplished by the franchise since the days of Dr. J. Although the 76ers fell short in their quest for a championship, Iverson's indomitable spirit and exceptional skills, I'm using these words to describe this because this is exactly what Iverson deserves um, but these skills, they left an indelible mark on the NBA. Off the court, Iverson's impact transcended basketball. His unique style, tattoos, zinc, his signature cornrows, the braids, you know, challenged. It just all challenged the traditional norms of the sport. Iverson was a cultural icon, influencing a generation of players and inspiring them to express themselves authentically. Iverson's legacy extends beyond his MVP season. He's an 11-time NBA All-Star, four-time scoring champion, one of the most electrifying guards to ever grace the hardwood. His tenacity, resilience, and undeniable talent have solidified his place in basketball lore. And in the annals of NBA history, May 15, 2001 will forever be cherished as the day that AI, the mighty AI, was uh, crowned the league's most valuable player. Anyway, that's a little something for the NBA history. There's things are certainly happening in the NBA today, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about something important. I have two listener questions this week. First is pretty quick. It's from Lucas G. in Richmond, Virginia. Question is this. What do you enjoy more? A seven-game series or a sweep? Great question. So, to be honest with you, Lucas, it's all psychological. It all depends on your rooting interests. If you're Watching two teams with no bias, you want a seven-game series because that's that's drama. You know, that's basketball at its pinnacle, its peak. You know, we want sports to see a clash of titans. It's not a clash of when one titan falls after just taking one shot in the mouth. Um, if you do have a rooting interest, if one of the teams happens to be your squad, uh, you want them to get through as quickly as possible with no incident. You know, you're not thinking about entertainment value. You're not thinking about basketball at its at its peak. You know, you just want the W. You know, I'm sure Mitch was uh, entertained by uh, the Suns taking the Nuggets to six games, but I'm sure he would have preferred the Nuggets to just sweep the Phoenix Suns and, and patiently wait for the Lakers in the conference finals. And then speaking of the Lakers, Steven, uh, he would have preferred the Lakers just beat the Warriors for four, or at least a gentleman sweep instead of six games, because, you know, he wants his team in the next round as quickly as possible. I mean, it can be stressful watching your squad go through a seven game grind but it's a great feeling when they do win it absolutely hurts the soul if they don't so it depends you know i have no rooting interest in the boston philly series so you know it was entertaining to see it go to seven games you know it feels pugilistic 
you know, it's, it's heightened. And again, it all depends on your perspective. But yeah, great question, Lucas. Appreciate you. All right, you guys, what's next? Let's move on to the next question, which is from Cheryl in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Shout out to you. Shout out to Toronto. Uh, she asks, what do you think of the all NBA selections? Uh, I like this because it gives us, uh, gives me a reason to talk about the all NBA <laughs> selections and congratulations to the players that were named to the 2023 all NBA teams last week. Let me just uh, list them off. These picks were made by a panel of 100 NBA writers and broadcasters. Just want to throw that out there. So on a third team, you have De'Aaron Fox, LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Julius Randle, and DeMontis Sabonis. On the second team, you have Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler, Stephen Curry, Nikola Jokic, Donovan Mitchell. And on the first team, the first team All-NBA is Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, Joel Embiid, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and Jason Tatum. All right, so quick notes, just some things to add here. This selection made LeBron a 19-time All-NBA selection. Uh, Kobe, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Tim Duncan are tied for second with 15 selections. So LeBron is just way ahead. Um, and there were some notable omissions this year. Devin Booker, he was a first-team All-NBA last year, didn't get selected. No Kevin Durant. No John Morant, no DeMar DeRozan. They were all second-team selections last year. Uh, no Pascal Siakam, no Carl Anthony Towns, no Chris Paul, Trey Young. All four were on the third team last year. Did not get selected this year. Um, I mean, my thoughts on this, I think many folks would swap Embiid for Jokic, but I don't know. It looks like voters doubled down with their MVP selection this year. I like Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I like the fact that he was recognized. He had a great season, incredible season for OKC. Uh, and that OKC team definitely made a leap. Uh, I like the Sacramento representation with De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. Big question mark many have shared with me is Damian Lillard. But let's keep it a buck. <laughs> Portland was terrible, but Lillard was really good this season. Uh, third team, All-NBA good? I don't know. I mean, in my opinion, that should have been Ja. But uh, this appears to be part of Morant's punishment, his extended punishment. I know shortly after the announcement was made, Donovan Mitchell sent out a tweet basically saying FOH. And you know what that stands for. Uh, my question is, well, who do you replace? You know, who does he replace on, on the first team? I think everyone on the first team deserved to be on that first team. And Donovan, hold that second. Hold that second team, man. Enjoy it. Uh, anyway, thank you very much for your question, Cheryl. Uh, quick reminder to all high and low lives. If you want to leave a question for us to answer on future episodes, uh, just drop a DM on TikTok at More High and Low. You can drop a DM on Instagram at Get High and Low. Links are in the show notes. Time for me to just take a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to do something for the casuals. We'll be right back with more high and low. This moment is brought to you by high and low listeners. 
This week on the High and Low NBA show, listeners were asked to share their five worst MVPs of all time. Shango in Shreveport, Louisiana shared his opinions starting with number 5, Charles Barkley of the Phoenix Suns in 1993. It should have been Michael Jordan. Number 4 is Carl Malone of the Utah Jazz in 1999. Again, it should have been Michael Jordan. Number 3 is David Robinson of the San Antonio Spurs in 1995. It should have been Hakeem Olajuwon, but Hakeem got his revenge. Number 2 is Joel Embiid this year. It should have been Nikola Jokic. Embiid is the only MVP not to make a conference finals. Number 1 is Bill Walton of the Portland Trailblazers in 1977. Not only were his regular season stats mediocre in comparison to other MVP candidates, he robbed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar of a third straight MVP trophy. Unforgivable. Thank you for sharing your list, Shango. Much appreciated. Let's get back to the program. Welcome back to the program. I'm Ike Mechi. So on a recent episode, we talked about how the NBA caters to the casuals and how the storylines away from the court, they can draw on that new audience. They can pull in a new audience outside of the purists. You know, that new audience of casuals could eventually turn purists, possibly. You know, we're talking about a Venn diagram. Um, anyway, I want to cater to the casual for a moment and talk about the storylines away from the court during these NBA playoffs, starting with Jordan Poole. Uh, this is a full circle for the Warriors. The season started off with a literal bang. The sound of Draymond's fist <laughs> connecting with uh, Poole's jaw. <laughs> as the two clashed in practice, it was all the NBA could uh, could talk about, especially the media, for like two to three weeks. And we all watched for cracks in the foundation of the dynasty. Everyone seemed to forget all about it until now. You know, so Poole struggled the whole series versus the Lakers. I'm uh, talking about the Western Conference semis. He provided no support, no help to Steph, and the results reflected that. The Warriors are done. They're out. The Lakers move on. And there's been reported tension in the locker room between Poole and others. And this this right here is the drama that pulls in the casual Hey, I'd love to see this in a 30 for 30 documentary about the Warriors, because I'm sure there are a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes that we are just not privy to. But the storyline, though, the storyline there with Poole, it's it's stuff that casuals will eat up. You know, you have the violence, got the action, the drama. We even have the romance with the baddies and the Jordan Poole effect. Wow. Yeah, take that. guys what's next the other storyline i want to talk about real quick is james harden uh specifically james harden going to vegas during the first round series versus the nets uh goes to show you how seriously he was taking that series and his old team uh we all know how much harden loves that life he's a legend in houston not only for his on-court performance his mvp season he's a legend in the streets and it seems the years have not softened his passion for that life. Harden is what they call a gentleman of culture. <laughs> he appreciates the finer things. And uh, a playoff series won't stop that. He had three days off. He asked Doc Rivers if it was cool for him to take off and go to Vegas. Doc didn't think anything of it. And that was that. 
you know, the first thing that comes to mind is Dennis Rodman going to Vegas with uh, Carmen Electra in the middle of the Bulls playoff run. Uh, remember, actually, Carmen Electra, there's a name from the past. We haven't seen Carmen Electra in years. Carmen Electra. Well, I don't know what happened to her. Anyway, uh, Doc even cited that trip in his response to Harden. And uh, that's the 30 for 30 documentary that I'm waiting for. I, I'd like to see that. Actually, I'm saying 30 for 30. That's the ESPN property. Let's talk about high and low. Maybe we'll do a high and low documentary about James Harden's three-day binge or bender in Las Vegas. But those are the types of storylines that casuals just eat up on their way to becoming more and more involved and more and more interested in the game. And like we said last time, it's all a plus for, for the NBA, all profit. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to get into one more storyline, a classic storyline. We'll be right back with more High and Low. This episode of High and Low is brought to you by Joel Embiid's trip to Cancun, Teardrops, the number 15, the number 51, and Jason Tatum's clutch gene. Back to the show. This is high and low. So before we shut it down for the week, I just want to get into the all time classic, (laughs) dramatic uh, NBA storylines, playoff storylines. Just want to get into that real quick. I think I'd be remiss if I did not mention Dennis Rodman, which I alluded to in the last segment. You know, Dennis Rodman going to Vegas is just an all time. I'm not going to talk about that one. Um, I want to talk about Pacers Knicks. That rivalry in the 90s. Uh, on one side, we had uh, the Indiana Pacers led by their sharpshooting and polarizing superstar Reggie Miller. And on the other side, we had the uh, New York Knicks, a team renowned for their tough defense, passionate fan base, uh, epitomized by the legendary filmmaker Spike Lee. Uh, the tension between Reggie Miller and Spike Lee, it just became the stuff of legend. You know, Spike just an avid Knicks fan and renowned filmmaker. He wore his heart on his sleeve, never shied away from voicing his support for his team. And of course, Reggie, just a master of trash talk and clutch performances. And he just relished the opportunity to go toe-to-toe with the Knicks with Spike Lee in attendance, especially with Spike Lee in attendance, because you know Spike was always sitting courtside. Close proximity, just ready to chirp, chirp, chirp. Uh, one of the most iconic moments of this rivalry occurred during game three of the 94 Eastern conference finals with, uh, with seconds remaining Reggie known for his ability to rise to the occasion. He just erupted for, for 25 points in the fourth quarter, single-handedly dismantling the Knicks defense. But here's the thing. This is the storyline, basically what fueled this legendary moment. Well, it turns out there was a bet at play and it involved none other than the legendary or infamous boxer, former heavyweight champion, Mike Tyson. According to some people, Reggie Miller had made a wager with Spike Lee during a chance encounter. Uh, Reggie Miller boldly proclaimed that he would score 30 points in Madison Square Garden. 
and, and silence the New York crowd. What was at stake? Well, a dinner paid for by the loser with a special guest appearance by Mike Tyson himself. So with the bet hanging in the balance, Reggie Miller, fueled by his competitive fire, rose to the occasion and delivered one of the greatest playoff moments in NBA history. His shooting left the Knicks and their fans in disbelief while Spike Lee watched his dinner date with Mike Tyson slip away with each three-pointer. Um, but this rivalry had even more intriguing chapters. In Game 5 of the 93 Eastern Conference Finals, tensions really ran high as the Knicks, uh, Knicks guard John Starks and Reggie Miller, they engaged in a heated conversation. Starks, who was known for his intensity, he headbutted Reggie Miller during a uh, heated exchange, further fueling the, the fiery rivalry between these two teams. And actually, just one thing, just one more thing, I just want to add to that, that exchange between Starks and, and, and Miller. Patrick Ewing, who was John Starks' teammate, he did not like that. And he got in, in John Starks' face. Um, and as a result of that, John Starks' mother went at Patrick Ewing uh, for, for going at John Starks. Anyway, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention another Knicks rivalry, which was Knicks Heat. Now, Larry Johnson, Lonzo Mourning, Game 5, 1997 Eastern Conference semis between the Knicks and the Heat. They decide to run the fade. Yes, in Game 5. And it was such a moment. It was basically the culmination of this beef that they had with each other since they were teammates in Charlotte years before. I mean, these guys did not like each other. They didn't like each other as teammates, and they definitely didn't like each other as opponents, and everyone knew it going into the series. It was just a matter of time and how and when. Uh, the beauty of this is how it ended up being a classic moment with uh, Knicks coach Jeff Van Gundy clutching the ankles of six foot ten, six foot eleven Alonzo Mourning in the middle of this melee, um, this fight that broke out uh, in Game Five between Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning. One thing to note, though, terrible punches thrown in that fight. I mean, I don't think anyone connected. I mean, they were swinging wildly, but I don't think any of them connected, which is usually the case in basketball. I mean, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's just always such an iconic moment to, to just uh, to look back on. And it's, it's even funnier when you just, you hear Jeff Van Gundy uh, doing color commentary on some of these playoff games. And you just know, I just remember when he <laughs> was part of an iconic moment himself. Anyway, these are the storylines. You know, these were storylines that had enough drama to appease both casual and purist simply because the off-court stuff fed the product, the on-court product. You know, Reggie Miller, again, he loved the drama. He fed off of it, and it made him a better competitor, which the purists love. While the casuals enjoyed the the back-and-forth bickering between uh, him and Spike Lee. You know, it all made sense. Everyone's happy. So I guess there's room for the drama after all. So maybe Hugo has a point here. Maybe there is room for the casual. Why the f I can't shoot three-point shots? But anyway, that brings us to the end of this episode of High and Low. Thank you for joining me this week. Uh, subscribe to High and Low anywhere you find podcasts. Make us a part of your weekly routine. Uh, if you want to leave a review, leave a rating, please do. 
always makes it easier for other people to find us, for us to continue growing a high and low community. Uh, you know where to find us. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube. Links to those are on the show notes. You know where to find Hugo. You know where to find Mitch, Steven, Sean. You know where to find me. And I hope you know where to find Live because the music this week is by Live of the Enjoy Music Group. You can find Live on Twitter and on Instagram at LYVE. Additional music is by Sonny Rockwell of The Goodness. Sound design is by Vaughn August. This is a Vaughn Abraham podcast, just in case you didn't know. So on behalf of the casuals, on behalf of the purists, I'm Ike Mechie. Thank you for listening to High and Low, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.